0: The reason why we chose at first, we chose Greystone because of the location we just moved there. Everything was just great, welcoming, and I love the people here. So we just see our family um, staying here and growing. And Greystone feels like home to us because of the warm, welcoming environment. As soon as you get here, everybody feels like family. And uh, I love Greystone because when I come here, I feel like everybody's part of family. And that um, we uh, they treat my family well. Um, I like Greystone for a lot of reasons, but um, I think the main thing that got me started here was the music. I love Greystone personally because there's something for every member of my family here. I don't have to fight my 16-year-old to get to church. My 21-year-old loves to come as well. Um, we come ho- come to Greystone as a home for student ministry and how the teachers uh, bring us closer together and make- find bigger bonds. Greystone, I call Greystone home because I have people like her to come and talk to. You come back and it's the same. There is more to find, more people to connect with, and you get a warm smile every time you walk through the door, so that's why I call Greystone home. God has used this church to change my life, to turn it around, and I call Greystone home now because... I mean, if, if God can use people in, in this church to change my life, then i want to be used by him to change the lives of other people, too. Um, I would call Greystone home because from the very beginning, it's felt more like family than it has a church. Um, and, and I would call everyone here family more than friends. All right. How's everybody doing? Y'all doing good? Well, welcome to Grace Time. My name's Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors. I'd like to welcome our Walton campus, our Coney campus, everybody who's watching online. Today is week two of our series, Home. But before we get into talking about home and our church as a home, I want to let you know where we're going next, because the next series I'm super excited about. We're going to be doing an Experiencing God study. It's Knowing and Doing The will of God. And in my 32 years of following Jesus, this is one of the very best Bible studies I've ever done. So we're going to do a series. We're going to look at the seven realities of experiencing God. Everyone's going to buy this book. I'm going to encourage everyone to buy this book because this is going to be our daily quiet times that we're going to follow along each day during the during the seven weeks. And I'm encouraging all of the small groups to do this book. Uh, as well. And so we're going to be doing this in my small group. We have a small group on Sunday nights with nine couples, so we're, we're full in that group, but Jennifer and I are actually starting a brand new small group on Tuesday nights, and it's going to be a small group for couples in their 20s and early 30s. And so if that fits you or if that fits one of you, um, then come join our groups. It's going to be on Tuesday nights. Child care will be provided, and we're going to have a mentoring group, and we're going to do the knowing. Uh, And doing the will of God We're going to be experiencing God together So let's dive in We're in week two of our series, Home Uh, We kicked it off uh, last week And we talked about The church is a family And this is our home And God has blessed us God has blessed our church With three homes We have a home in Gwinnett County We have a home in Walton County We have a home in Oconee County We're hoping one day to have a beach home Right, That's kind of kind of where we're going, and we're going to have a campus for old people who are moving to the beach, and hopefully Jennifer and I uh, will do that. Uh, the church is not the building. The church is the people. The church is a family of faith, a fellowship of believers. God is our Heavenly Father, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we taught last week, the application last week is to make Greystone Church your church home. If you haven't done that, we want to encourage you uh, to do that. Actually, at the end of next, uh, next week, at the end of the service, both services, uh, we're going to stay in here and have an abbreviated newcomer's launch. And so if you've never been, next week would be a great time to come. Okay, and this is at all of our campuses. We're going to have a shorter uh, newcomer's launch. That's our membership class. Uh, last week we talked about the importance of fellowship. We talked about the importance of doing life together. I encourage everyone to wear a name tag so that we can get to know uh, one another. Uh, people are not looking for a friendly church. People are looking for friends. And the first step in becoming friends with someone is to get to know uh, their name. So we're going to go a little bit deeper today. we want to take it a step uh, further, last week we looked at Acts 2, 42 through 47. We model Greystone Church after the early church, after the very first church. We also model Greystone Church after the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus loved the world, taught many, and discipled a few. At Greystone, we love the world, we teach many, and we disciple a few. We're following the example of Jesus. Jesus loved everyone. We read in the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that Jesus loved everyone. He ministered to anyone who came across his path. He ministered to the old and the young, the rich and the poor. He ministered to those who were pursuing God and those who were far away from God. Jesus loved everybody. At Greystone, we love everybody. The doors to our house are open to anyone and everyone. And we say this all the time, is we're not perfect, we don't expect you to be. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, you're welcome at Graystone Church. We carry this same attitude outside the walls of the church. We want to be kind and generous and loving to anyone who comes across our path. Whether that's at school or at work or in the neighborhood or at the grocery store or a restaurant or at the ballpark or the the gym, wherever we are, we want to love everybody. Jesus loved everyone and Jesus taught many. We read that Jesus went from village to village and town to town teaching the multitudes. He taught in the synagogues and he taught in the homes. Uh, He taught the crowds. There would be such a large crowd coming to Jesus, they would put him in a boat. (laughs) He would would sit out in the boat and teach thousands of people on the seashore. Uh, He would teach people on the mountainside. He would teach people in the temple courts. Thousands and thousands of people came and Jesus taught them. He taught them how to live. He taught them the good news. He taught them about the kingdom of God. At Greystone Church, we teach many people. Over the years, we've taught tens of thousands of people who have walked through the doors of Graystone Church. Currently, we have six services across three campuses that we are teaching people. The Word of God. I'm super excited because last Sunday our Oconee campus just went from one service to two services. They had their largest crowd in a long time, but they're expanding. They're they're making room to reach more people for Christ. We will add services. We will add campuses. We want everyone to have a seat. We want everyone to have a parking space. We want to be able to teach people the good news of Jesus Christ. So we teach the adults in the auditorium, we teach thousands of kids over the year in our kids' area, at all of our campuses. We teach the students on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. We're following the example of Jesus. We love everyone. We want to teach as many people as we possibly can. And then Jesus discipled a few. He loved everyone. He taught the multitudes. But he poured his life into 12 disciples. For three years, the 12 disciples went with Jesus everywhere that he went. And not only did he teach them, but he modeled for them how to live the Christian life. They were his close friends. Uh, They did life together. They were family. At Greystone Church, our discipleship takes place in the context of small group. Small group is where we do life together. Together, It's where we get to know one another. It's where we care for one another. And small small groups were following the example of Jesus. He loved everyone. He taught the multitudes. But he had a small group of people that he did life with. Now, I want us to take this a step further today. I want us to talk about the importance of loving one another. Now, it seems simple at first, right? Oh, yeah, we're supposed to love one another. So we want to love everyone. We love whoever, whoever's path we come across. We love whoever walks through the doors of, of Greystone Church. Um, but we want to love everybody. And the best place to do that is in the context of small group. Jesus said in John 13, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. Jesus commands us. It's a command to the disciples. It's a command to the church to love one another. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. Jesus commands us to love each other. This is a command coming from our commanding officer. Jesus is our king. Jesus is our Lord. The king of kings and the Lord of lords is commanding us to love one another. Now, who is Jesus talking to? When he says to love one another, who is he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his small group. I want, I want us to look at the context of this command. John chapter 13. We want to look at the context. When Jesus gives this command to his disciples, this is Thursday night of the last week of Jesus' life. Okay, In just a few hours, just the very next day, Jesus is going to die on the cross For our sins. He's given his disciples one final command. They're sitting around a table together. They're in a living room around a table. They're in the upper room. They're sitting around a table together. They're breaking bread together. They've just shared in the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. Jesus has washed his disciples' feet, he's served them, and he set an example. For them, He says, if I wash your feet, you're to wash others' feet. He's instituted the Lord's Supper. He's explained that he is about to, to die. He explains the bread is symbolic of his body, and the cup is symbolic of his blood. He says, eat and drink in remembrance of me. So he explains the importance of the Lord's Supper. And then he predicts that Judas is going to betray him. And he even tells Peter or John, he says, says, the disciple I hand the bread to, he is my betrayer. And then he hands the bread to to Judas. And he tells Judas, he says, go quickly and do what you're going to do. When Jesus says to love one another, this is in the context of Jesus knowing that, that Judas, one of his closest friends, is about to betray him. And Jesus is sharing about his upcoming death. And he tells the disciples, he says, where I'm going, you can't go. Or at least you can't go right now. And Peter doesn't understand what he's talking about. And Peter says, I'll go. I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll lay my life down for you. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, before the rooster crows, before the sun comes up in the morning you are going to disown me three times. And all the disciples, when Jesus Christ is arrested, they're going to flee. They're going to turn their backs on Jesus, and they're going to run, and they're going to all go their separate ways. So in the context of this, I want you to think about it. In the context of Jesus knowing that one of his closest friends is going to betray him, Peter, who would become the pastor of the first church, is going to deny even knowing Jesus. He's like, I don't, even, I don't even know the man. I don't even know who you're talking about. And all the disciples are going to flee. It's in this context that Jesus, sitting around a table, having just shared a meal with his closest friends, commands them to love one another. He commands us to love one another. Point number one is, we're to love one another. I think it's interesting in the the last hour, Jesus doesn't say, love me. He doesn't say, love God. He doesn't say, love those who are outside the church or those who are far from God. He doesn't say, love your enemies. And of course, we're to love God and we're to love everybody. But the last command, this new command that he gives his disciples is to love God each other. This is a strong command to the disciples. This is a strong command to the church. Greystone, our church family, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to love one another. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's a command from Jesus Christ himself. Well, how are we to love one another? Point number two is we're to love each other as Christ has loved us. We're to love each other as Christ has loved the disciples. He just washed their feet. He just served them. He loved them through service. He loved them through humility. It says that Jesus took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, got on his hands and knees, humbled himself, and washed his disciples' feet. Now, why did Jesus wash their feet? Could they have washed their own feet? No, Jesus said he had to be the one to wash their feet. So I want us to look at the deeper meaning here. There's a deeper meaning. There's a deeper understanding, spiritual principles to why Jesus washed the disciples' feet. I want us to read read the first 17 verses of John chapter 13. Are you all with me? Everybody awake? All right. John chapter 13. It was just before the the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Having loved his disciples, his closest friends, he he, he loves them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drawing them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, listen, this is very important. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. We're going to come back to that. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, their whole body is clean. And the, re- the reason they washed the feet is they, they traveled, they wore sandals, the roads were dusty and, and dirty, and their, their feet would get dirty. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, Not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked him. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And so, what is the deeper meaning here? What is the symbolism here? Why did Jesus have to wash Peter's feet? Why did Jesus have to wash the disciples' feet? Why could they not wash their own feet? And the message, the deeper meaning that Jesus was teaching was that we cannot clean ourselves, we can't wash away our sins. Jesus Christ is the only one who can cleanse us. Jesus Christ is the only one who can forgive us. Jesus Christ is the only one who can wash away our sins. And then he goes on. We don't have it in John's gospel, but we have it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel. He explains the Lord's Supper. And he explains that he's going to die on the cross for our sins and that his blood is going to wash us as white as snow. And so there, there's a deeper meaning Here, So how does Jesus love us? If if we are to love others as he has loved us, how does he love us? How how did he love the disciples? Well, number one, he, he served them. He serves us. He got on his hands and knees, he humbled himself, and he washed their feet. Number two is he laid his life down for us. He died on the cross for our sins. Instead of us, dying on the cross. Instead of us paying the penalty of death for our sins, he paid the penalty of death for us. And then lastly, he loved us unconditionally. Now let's look at the context here. Jesus Christ is saying to love one another. And to love each other as I have loved you. Now I want you to see that even though Judas was about to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew this. He still serves him and he still washes his feet. He still shares the bread and the wine with Judas, even though he knows Judas is about to betray him. Even though he knows that that Peter is about to deny Jesus three times, he's about to disown him. He's about to, to say that he doesn't even know who Jesus is. Jesus still serves him. He still washes his feet. He still shares in the Last Supper with them. Even though he knew that when he was arrested, because because when the shepherd is attacked, the sheep sheep scatter, he knows that all the disciples are going to turn their backs on him and run and scatter. Even though he knows that, he loves them anyway. He serves them anyway. He loves us unconditionally. We are to love one another. We're to love each other as Christ has loved us. Even if we have a fellow Christian betray us, we love them anyway. Even if we have a fellow Christian disown us and say they're not friends with us, we are to love them Anyway, Even if we have a friend turn their back on us and talk bad about us, we are to love them anyway. We are to love each other unconditionally. We're to love each other no matter what. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? Are you catching what I'm throwing? Like we're talking about unconditional love. Jesus Christ commands us to love each other. He doesn't say love each other if if they love us back, or if they're loyal to us, or if there's a, they reciprocate. No, he says love each other unconditionally. To love each other no matter what. And then he says if, if we love one another, everyone will know that we are Jesus' disciples. What's the proof that you're one of Jesus' disciples? It's the love we have for one another. The love we have for one another is the proof of our faith in Jesus. Loving one another is the assurance of our salvation. Loving one another is our testimony to the world. It's how we let the rest of the world know that we're true followers of Jesus Christ by the love that we have for each other. This should be the desire of our hearts. This should be a high priority in our lives that... That we love each other. We are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to love each other no matter what. Now let's talk about some practical ways to love each other. Now we've talked about the five love languages. And we talk about the five love languages as it applies to our marriages and we've done series on that. And I've joked around that my wife, Jennifer, she has all five of the love languages, like she appreciates all five. You know, You're supposed to figure out, well, what is someone's love language and love them in that way. I joke around with Jennifer that she, that she has all five of the love languages. Uh, we talk about loving our kids with the five uh, love languages. But I want us to talk about applying it to the context of our church. And of course, again, it's easier to apply in smaller settings, smaller groups. But let's talk about applying it to the whole church. The five love languages, words of affirmation, physical touch, giving and receiving gifts, quality time, and acts of service. We want to tell people we love them. We want to tell each other we love each other. But we also want to show it. So the first one is words of affirmation. We need to tell each other, I love you. We want to encourage One another. We need to tell each other how much they mean to us. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we need to show love and appreciation for each other. Now, I'm a big fan of face-to-face, like let's talk face-to-face, tell each other we love each other. You could write each other a personal note. I mean, isn't it great to get a letter in the mail, like a personal handwritten note from someone that they love and appreciate you? We could send a text. We could send an email. We could write it on somebody's social media. You know, a positive word of encouragement. We, I love you. I appreciate you. We should tell each other that. The second thing is physical touch. One of the ways that we show each other we love each other is through physical touch. The apostle Paul says in Romans sixteen sixteen, greet one another with a holy kiss. The Christians of the day, when they saw one another... They would greet one another with a holy kiss, a kiss on the cheek, right? And, uh, and there are a lot of cultures i have been on a lot of mission trips. Actually, where Jennifer grew up down in Miami, Florida, you greet someone of the opposite sex with a holy kiss. Don't freak out. I'm not trying to institute this at Greystone, okay? I'm not saying we should kiss one another. And the youth, don't quote me on that. You know, tonight, the high school, hey, Jonathan said we're supposed to kiss each other. <laughs> now, I'm a, I'm a big fan of hugging. I just think there's just something about physical touch. There's something about hugging one another. And I'm a big fan of, of for the opposite sex, I think it's best to do a side hug, right? We've talked about this before. You know, because, because a full frontal, all up in there kind of hug is just, it's uncomfortable, right? A holy hug is what we want to give. And so I'm a big fan of, of side hugs. Uh, there, several years ago, when our two older kids were smaller and they were in elementary school, uh, I met Jennifer and the kids up at Red Robin. Y'all, y'all know Red Robin, the hamburger place? They got the, the nice onion ring tower, all you can eat french fries uh, I'll see you there later um, so anyway they, they, they had gotten there, Jennifer and the kids and they were waiting for a table and I got there late Jennifer was talking to this lady so I came in and I, got, I went over and I gave her a huge, you know, just side hug and we're talking and everything and, and then they call our name and we go to the table and uh, Jennifer says, I can't believe you, you gave her a hug it's like, what are you talking about? It's a side hug. She's like, do you even know who that woman is? I'm like, yeah, that's Laura McTeer, David McTeer's mom. She said, that's not Laura McTeer. <laughs> I said, it's not? She said, no. She said, that's, that's one of the teachers at the kid's school. <laughs> i like, oh, that pastor at Greystone's friendly. You know, he's like, uh, <laughs> hugging all the ladies, you know. But I'm, I'm a big fan of the side hug with the opposite sex. Now, now, if it's men to men, okay, I, you know, I think that there's the handshake, there's the fist bump, uh, there's, there's what I call the bro hug, and I wanted, I wanted to bring Josh Frazier up. Josh is our student pastor, and let's get Josh up here. So I just, I just want to demonstrate some things, because there's, there's a little confusion, and, we're, and this is, can be awkward later. So like the businessman, you got the businessman handshake, how you doing? You get the cool kind of kind of fist bump, you know, what's up? Well then when you really get to know another guy, like you're in a small group together, you know each other. And Josh and I do this every time we see each other. Every time. It's called the bro hug. And we like to get a oh that was good, nice clap. And then you come in, you give the hug, and then you move out. <laughs> right, come here. So it's it's well. Wait, There we go. Come in. It's one tap and move out. Now, we've got a guy in our small group, and I'm not mentioning names, Dan Kerath. And Dan likes to linger. So Dan, Dan comes in, and then instead of the one tap, he like kind of holds it in. And uh, we're constantly like, Dan, don't linger too long. Like, move in, move out, move on. Right? All right, let's give Josh a big hand. I appreciate him helping me out. So with the men, if you're not comfortable enough for the bro hug go with the handshake or, or, or fist bump, I had someone come up to me after the last service, they were like giving me a, a back massage. I'm like, hang on. Hang on now. I appreciate the, the physical touch. Now if it's two ladies hugging, that's a whole nother ball game. Okay? And I don't have any experience. In that, But I think when, when ladies show a lot more affection than men, and I, I think it's like Australian outback, no rules, like any, anything goes. And if you want to get all up in there and, and hug, and I'll be talking to some ladies, they're like holding hands. You know, they're just showing all kinds of affection. So we want to show affection. And we want to do it in a holy way. And that's where I wanted to share the verse about the holy kiss. We, we want to do it in a, in a holy way pure way, especially the students, right? Side hugs. (laughs) Number three, giving and receiving gifts. I think a great way to to show our love for each other is to give each other gifts. And they don't have to be expensive gifts. It's, It's the fault that counts. And it's just a simple fault of I was at this store, or I was at this place, I was in Gatlinburg, I I saw this, I thought about you, and I bought it for you. I wanted to give it to you. Giving people gifts lets them know that you love them. It lets them know hey, I was thinking about you, and I went the extra mile, and I went ahead and bought this for you. Giving and receiving gifts. Another way we can, we can show our love for each other is through quality time, through spending time with each other. How do you spell love? T I M E. And I think it's really hard for a church our size to, to get quality time with everybody. It's impossible. Of course, we're across three campuses, three counties. And this is another reason why small groups are so important, because it's in the context of small groups that we can spend quality time together, that we can truly get to know each other. And I, and, I, and I urge people every semester to join a small group because it's small group where you do life together and you can truly love and care for each other. Uh, we've got the small groups launching today at all of our campuses. If you need help finding a small group, talk to one of the campus pastors, talk to a staff member, talk with an elder, go buy guest services. We would love to help you find a small group for you. And it's in these smaller groups where we really get to know each other. And we have two types of smaller groups here at Greystone. One is the small groups, but the other are serving teams. Because our serving teams are smaller groups of people who are serving together and get to know one another. So, all, all the men on the parking team. They serve on the parking team together. They get to know each other. The, the greeters, the ushers, the, the coffee bar volunteers. They're, they're serving together. The children's workers, the, the student volunteers. I, I was up here on Wednesday night before the big student kickoff. And all the adults were hanging out. They knew each other. They had a close relationship with each other. They're doing life together. They're serving together. Not only are they pouring their lives into our kids... But they're getting to know each other and serving together and doing life together. And then the last way that we can show our love, and this kind of leads me to it, is acts of service. We can show people we love them by serving them. And we know who we can call on if we need help with something. We know who we can call on who can help us. And it goes a long way when someone helps and when someone serves. Jesus Christ demonstrated this for us by humbling himself and getting on his hands and his knees and washing his disciples' feet. He served them. When we are serving each other, we're, uh, in a sense, washing each other's feet. We're putting somebody else's needs above our own. All of our serving teams, yes, they're serving God, but they are letting us know that they love us by serving us. We have a parking team that's out in the freezing cold. Sometimes it's raining. Sometimes it's snowing. They're in the parking lot because they love us. They want us to safely park our cars and get our families safely into the church. They do it because they love us. Everyone who's watching our kids and teaching our kids, they're serving us by serving our kids. And they're letting us know that they love us because they're loving on our kids. Everyone who serves is communicating. Not only are they serving God, but they're serving our church. We're serving the community. It's a great way to let other people know that we love them. So here, here's the application. Last week, I encouraged everyone to wear name tags. I want to keep encouraging you to do that. It helps us get to know each other's names. It, it doesn't, it's not awkward. You kind of look down. Oh, okay, that's your name. It's not you. You know, hey, you. We can call people by their name. Uh, the application today is to greet one another with a hug or a handshake okay so if you're i want to encourage the hugs and y'all can be, be fun with this you know the big side hugs with the ladies the bro hugs with the men we can dap if you don't not feel comfortable um, hugging you know give fist bump give a handshake show affection to one another we're family We are brothers and sisters in Christ. Like, this is our family of faith. We're doing life together. We want to tell each other we love each other. We want to show each other we love each other. And we can show it in our actions. It's a command. On the night that Jesus Christ was betrayed, as he's sitting around the table having just broken bread with his disciples, he looks at them and he says, a new command I give you, love one another. And he says, by this, the world, everyone outside the walls of the church will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Let me pray for us. God I thank you for the example of Jesus Christ I thank you that he was a humble servant that he was a servant leader that he got on his hands and knees and he washed his disciples feet and he says that he set an example for us and anytime we serve someone else God says this we're washing their feet we're putting their needs above our own I pray, God, that we would be a church that truly loves one another, that cares for one another, that loves each other unconditionally no matter what, and that the world would be drawn to this. It would be a great testimony to the world and those outside of the church by the love that we have for one another. God, I thank you for Jesus Christ laying his life down for us. I thank you that he died on the cross for our sins. He paid the penalty for us. And I pray, God, if there's anyone here, if there's anyone watching who has never put his or her faith in you, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.